I want to talk to you today about a specific subject. I want to talk to you today about our faith. Uh, if you're like me, every once in a while, you really need a booster shot. Is anybody like me? The very fact that we're doing life in this world in 2022 makes it true that there is a daily chipping away at our faith that we can all experience. And certainly we have an enemy who is going about to and fro seeking who he may devour. He's out to completely destroy and annihilate our faith. So I stand in need every day of needing my faith enlarged and expanded. I stand in need every day of being challenged to believe God for greater things, for he said, greater things shall you do. Amen. Is anybody with me today? Maybe you're here today and you've, you've never really been a person of faith. If that's true or that's you, well, thank you for being here with us today and thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk to you about Jesus and allowing me to speak to you about the greatness of our God because we believe with every fiber, fiber of our being that our God is great and he's greatly to be praised. So I'm going to ask you to please turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 15. Um, it was in Genesis last week. I've been kind of hanging out there a bit, in a different section. But turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 15. I'm going to ask you to stand and read the word of the Lord this morning. Read with lots of fire and passion. We're going to read chapter 15, verses 1 through verses 6. Let's see if they've got it up there. There we go. All right, let's read it together, church. Go. And he believed in the Lord, and God counted it to him for righteousness. Hang on just one second. Do you know what it is to believe in something or to believe in someone? When you believe in them, you believe that no matter what happens, that you can still trust them. Maybe uh, it's been a bad day. Maybe there's been a, a, a decision that you question, but you believe in that person. The best example I give is that for 34 years, I worked with Pastor Des Evans. Every day, I believed in him. I had reason to believe in him, even if I didn't understand a decision. And I always found out later he was right and I was wrong. 
But even if that was the case, I believed in him, which meant I believed in his credibility. I believed in his integrity. I believed in his heart after God. I believed in his motivation. I believed in his highest desire for this fellowship to walk in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Believe in. It is important to know what do you believe in? And what we're going to talk about today is our faith in relationship to what happened with Abraham. It's a story that you know well. But this text that we've ended with today says, and Abram believed in the Lord. How many of you can say that's true of you? I believe in the Lord. You believe in the Lord, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. Thank you. You may be seated. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. I want to talk to you about expanded faith today. In the year in which I was born, uh, in a previous century, a book was published and written by the well-known author Theodore Seuss Geisel under the pen name Dr. Seuss. You've heard of him, I'm sure. Some of you uh, will know of it or have heard of it, but the book was entitled Horton Hears a Who. How many of you have even heard of that? Well, you, you may have heard of it because I think they made a movie out of it, and then it, uh, the musical Seussical was performed here by our Bethesda Christian School wonderfully well uh, last year. Well, those of you who remember this book will remember that Horton was an elephant who heard something that other animals could not hear. He heard these things from the little town of Whoville, located on a speck of dust, and Horton protected that little speck of dust on a clover bloom. And he sat there, and he sat there, and he guarded it and protected it. And what happened was the other animals tied him up because they, they thought he had lost his mind because he was hearing things that others were not hearing. Well, let me say this. When you belong to the Lord... You're not awake yet. I said, when you belong to the Lord, you hear things that other people don't hear. Am I right about that? God will show you some things to see that other people simply cannot see. So they thought Horton has lost his mind, and so they constricted him. And the truth is, people will think something may be wrong with you because you are believing in something that you cannot see. You're trusting in something that you don't have your hands on yet. Because we know this, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. In our text this morning, Abram hears the word of the Lord and this word that God gave him revolutionized his life. And it's, it's, it's almost an awkward conversation for us. You and I are allowed to listen in. Uh, which what we read today is, is really quite personal, a very private conversation. It's, it, it's, it's almost impolite for us to listen to uh, this conversation between Abram with God. But if we listen closely, and I hope you did, I hope you were paying attention as you read, this conversation will teach us a thing or two about our own walk with the Lord. So I'm going to walk a little bit around the text, and I want you to go with me. Verse 1, if you have your Bibles, just keep them open. 
Verse 1 deals with a word about Abram's fear. Would you say that with me? Abram's If you read the previous, or if you ever get a chance to read the previous chapter, chapter 14, you'll find Abram has just returned from a great military victory. Those of you who are readers of the Bible, remember that some kings from the east went to war with some kings from the west. And if I were able to pronounce their names, I would remind you what they are, but I can't, okay? But during the course of that campaign, Abram made a bitter enemy of the king of Elam. And Abram even felt uh, in danger of attack when it was God who came to him with the word to comfort him in his fear. That's why the Lord had to start by saying, hey, don't be afraid. And, and when we are fearful, and don't we all face fear in various forms from time to time, we need to experience the peace that comes from knowing God. How many of you are thankful that you know the peace speaker, you know him by name? Well, right here in verse 1 of chapter 15 of Genesis, our text, it's the very first time that the words fear not appear in the Bible. And thank God it's not the last time. Now, some of you have heard somebody say there's 365 fear not. That's not true. There's 103. But somebody came up with a nice idea. There's 365 fear nots, one for every day of the year. It doesn't matter if there's 103, 365, or 3,065. God's peace is there for you when you need it. Abram, fear not. Fear not. That's the kind of peace. It's the kind of peace that even in the midst of your situation, you can know that God has everything under control. How many are thankful for it today? Because you know what? Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is calm in the midst of your conflict. Peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace just means that you can sleep even in the middle of your trouble. Peace does not mean nor imply that you don't have any problems. Peace just means that you can come to church and worship God and lift your hands to bless Him even in the midst of your problem. That's what peace means. That's the kind of peace He's given us. Peace does not mean that everything's going well. But peace does mean that you are still able to give God praise even in, uh, uh, in spite of the fact that it's not going well. Somebody say hallelujah. Because when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, one of the baptismal candidates today just buried his wife a few weeks ago, but he has the peace of God that passes all understanding. It was very touching to my heart to see Donald go through the waters of baptism today. Whatever my lot, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well. It may not always be well with my money, but it's well with my soul. It may not always be well with my health, but it is well with my soul. It may not always be well with my family, but it is well with my soul. Church, that's the peace that passes all understanding. Give the Lord praise for it today. Hallelujah indeed. Not only does Abram have peace that comes from knowing God, but in this first verse that we're looking at, he has protection that comes from knowing God. The Lord was encamped about him, 
Most of you know the story of Abram. And with all that Abram possessed and all that God had provided and all that God had given him, God still gave him perfect protection day and night. We get this from verse 1 that we're reading in our text. Look at it again. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. By the way, we're in, verse, we're in chapter 15. His name gets changed to Abraham in chapter 17. If I mess it up, give me a little grace today, okay? After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. I want you to say, God is my shield and my exceedingly great reward. Let me remind you what Psalm 34 says. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and he delivers them. Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him will I trust. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Why is that? That's because church, God is your protection. He is your shield. He is your strength. He is your sustenance. He is your high tower. He will provide protection even in the presence of your enemies. Somebody shout hallelujah today. Even in, the, even in front of your enemies. Now you may not have any. I've got a couple. I'm trying to get it down to two or three. They can see you, but they can't get to you. That's the protection God gives you. They want you to fall, but they can't do anything about the fact that you're still standing. That's the kind of protection God gives us. They don't want you to make it, but God is your shield and your protection. And you have no need to fear what men can do to you because we have his promise that God is a very present help in the time of trouble. There's an old song that friends of mine used to sing, Jesus be a fence all around me. He will be a fence around you. He will be a bulwark around you. Those of you who've sung the old hymns, a bulwark around you so that no devil in hell can stop your progress. That ought to cause somebody to shout hallelujah today. Don't fret, the psalmist says in Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. I stand today confident that God is my protection and my shield. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Aram is a man who has left home, he's left his family. And he's done it all to follow God. But as yet, he doesn't even have the slightest hint of all that's been promised to him. He's following God on a promise. He's following God on a word. It's not in his hand yet. He doesn't have possession of it yet. He just has a promise. And God reminds him that the child of God with a promise, even though nothing is in his hand, does not need to be pitied. He needs to be envied. Don't pity me because I don't have it yet. You can envy me because I'm on my way to what God is, is providing. 
Don't feel sorry for me because I don't have it yet. But you can rejoice with me when the provision comes from the Lord. Let me remind all of us this morning that every promise is yes and amen to those who believe. You may not have that promise yet in your hand, but keep trusting in God. Because God reminds Abram, Abram that he is faithful, I am your shield, and I am your exceedingly great reward. Well, all of that is a word about Abram's fear from, from verse 1. But let me move to verses 2 through 5, because here's where we see a word about Abram's future. Let me just read it again. You read it earlier. Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? I mean, what's the point? Since you've given me no children, this guy that's a servant in my household, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants is going to have to be my heir. And then the Lord said to him, oh no, 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 not so fast. Your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. The King, New King James says, a son who will come from your own body. You will have a son of your own who will be your heir. I, when speaking of faith, there's something that always needs to be said. Because, you know, I've grown up with the church like many of you, and we've said all kinds of things about faith. I've heard every testimony there is to be said about it. And if, you're, if, if you have walked the path that I've walked in church, sometimes people can make faith so complicated. They just complicate it. They get it all twisted up with all kinds of stuff and all kinds of, of circumstances. But sometimes, even when people make it complicated, faith is just simple, childlike belief. It's simple, childlike belief. Faith is just as simple as a, a child putting their confidence in his or, or her parents. Most of us parents and grandparents know what it is to take our child to the swimming pool. That happened for us this summer. Our oldest granddaughter was here. Uh, of course, we have Soren living here in this area, so we were at the pool several times with her and had them stand on the side of the pool while we're just inside standing close by with our arms out ready to catch them. Don't they love to do that? And they squeal, and they might be nervous for just a little bit, but that child will squeal with delight and dive right into my arms because it never crossed her mind that I would not catch her. My granddaughters will just dive right into my arms with a childlike faith. And once it happens the first time, it's going to happen another 40 or 50. It's the way it goes. Because somehow... They've learned or they know that if he caught me last time, the chances are he's going to catch me again the next time. That's the kind of faith you and I, the simple childlike faith that you and I ought to have in the living God. Is there an amen to that today? If he caught you last time, dear one... You ought to rejoice in the fact that even if you've not come to the next bit of trouble that you might have, even if you've not come to the next sickness or the next crisis, whatever it is, he's going to catch you next time. That's what faith is like. He will catch you. Now, please hear me. The simplicity of the promise 
has to do with the sovereignty of the promise. God's promises speak a word about God's power. Before you even exercise your faith, oh, hear me, hear me, hear me. Before you even exercise your faith, God's plans are already in motion. Before you even get to use your faith, God is already working in your behalf. You may have no idea what God is doing. You may have no idea how he's going to do it, but you simply have faith that God is going to do it. By the time you get to it, he's already worked it all out. Allow me to illustrate. Abraham was taking his son Isaac up to up Mount Moriah to sacrifice him because God told him to do so. Chapter 22, where he's now Abraham. Up the way to the mountain, Isaac says, hey, Daddy, I, 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 I see the wood. I see the fire. But, but where is the offering? Where, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham responded, my son, we know that God himself will provide the lamb. And now, now when, when Abraham said that, you've got to understand he's speaking in the abstract because he has no concrete proof, nothing, that God is actually going to do what he just told his son Isaac that God would do. He has no proof of that. He's walking in faith. But let me just tell you something today. Faith does not have to have concrete proof. Some of you need to hear that today. I know you're reasonable, rational, logical people, and we all like to have all the proof and all the ducks in a row, but when you are a person living by faith, you don't have to have concrete proof that God's coming through. Faith simply needs to stand on the assurance that if God did it before, he can do it again. You know how the story goes. They get to the top of Mount Moriah. Isaac says, I, I, Dad, I see the wood. I see the fire. Where, where is the lamb? But by the time... Abraham gets there with his son. God had already provided the lamb. Because when Abraham, along with Isaac, was on his way up this side of the mountain, the answer was coming up this side of the mountain. Are you getting the picture with me this morning? I'm trying to tell someone today that you just do what you're supposed to do and by the time you do what you're supposed to do, that lamb is going to be there because he's already made his way up the other side of the mountain. You do what you're supposed to do knowing that God is going to be there to do what he has promised he would do because he is no shorter than his promises. The prophet Isaiah says in chapter 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. You may be saying, I, I don't know how God is going to fix my child. I just believe he will. I, I don't know how God is going to heal my body. I just trust God, and I know that if he did it before, he can do it again. I do not know how God is going to work this thing out in my life, but I just believe he will. Who wants their faith expanded today? <clears throat> Abraham said, God, you, 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 you promised me a son. All I have is this servant, Eli Eliezer of Damascus. <laughs> I go by the way things look today. Sure looks like I'm going to have to use him to be my heir. He's going to inherit everything I have. 
all my possessions, all my livestock, everything. Now, Abraham is about 75 years old when he's talking like this. Okay, let's get that straight. And God waits until he's 99 years old. God waits until a time when Abraham has no, I'm trying to say this tactfully, no physical inclinations toward fathering a child. (laughs) Do you need further explanation? No. His physical strength and power at this point is all gone. Sarah has, has been barren for some time. I love this. God waits until there is no possible way for Abraham to have participated in his own blessing. Dan, say that again. Okay. God waits until there's no possible way for Abraham to have participated in his own blessing. Because if Abraham could have done it, God would not have received the glory. God waited until it was impossible. And then he made a way out of no way. And God might just be right now waiting for you to get out of your own way so that he can make a way out of no way. God cannot bless it as long as you're trying to fix it. He can't provide as long as you are trying to come up with your own scheme and your own strategy. That's just the way God works. And if you will simply get out of the way, then by the time you exercise your faith, God has already sent and provided the answer. Glory to his name. God waits until Abraham is, shall we say, full of years. And he waits until Sarah is fully incapable. And then at 99 years old, <laughs> with Sarah at 90, God says, okay, time is right. Now I'm going to give you what you've been asking for. Church, can I just say to you, it's not until we're ready to say, I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice and it told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. Consecrate me now. To thy service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. Let my soul look up with a steadfast love and my will be lost in thine. When Abraham and Sarah were too old to do it on their own, that's when God showed up. And the simplicity and the sovereignty of the promise of God moves us to the size of God's promise. Stay with me here. Abraham is looking for an heir. You know, that's what he's prayed for. Abram was concerned, let me go back to his name at that time. Abram is looking for an heir. Abram was concerned about a single heir, one son. That's what he was praying for. But God said, come outside. Come out here with me. Have I got any Bible readers in the room today? Look up toward the heavens is if you can count those stars, that's how many heirs will be added to your promise. Now, I'm going to ask you, Bethesda, come a little closer. Dr. Joel Gregory would say, come a little closer. Abram just wanted one thing when God wanted to give him everything. Stop praying for just one thing. When God has much, 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 much more in mind for you 
It's time to expand the size of our faith. I got to tell you, I have honestly been convicted recently about praying small prayers. I just began realizing how small my prayers have been. I, you know, I, I probably don't want to be um, overbearing. I don't want to, you know, ask too much. I don't want to, but, but I finally have realized, and that's a lack of faith. Why would I pray a small prayer when I have such a big God? Answer that for me. Why would you pray such a small prayer when you serve a great, big, wonderful God? Why would you do it? You're thinking, well, a small job is better than no job at all. Why don't you ask God for a good job? Well, a half a man's better than no man at all. Why don't you sisters ask God for a real man? Let me tell you, I am certainly a realist by nature. My feet are firmly planted on the ground. But as I read the Word of God, and as I see the magnitude and power of what God can do, I am, exp- I am challenged to expand my faith and to believe God for greater things than ever before. And I'm not just talking about material things. Some people are going to take it and try to apply it only to that. I'm talking about greater miracles. I'm talking about greater signs and wonders. I'm talking about a greater outpouring of His Holy Spirit upon us as a fellowship. I'm talking about an, an enlarging of our hearts, all of us, and a softening of our hearts like never before. I'm talking about a greater measure of the fruit of the Spirit within our lives. I'm talking about a dynamic, visible expression of grace on the families of our fellowship. I'm talking about greater dreams for the work of God and greater vision of of what God, uh, what, what He can do in our day and our generation. I challenge everyone today under the sound of my voice, enlarge your territory. Enlarge your territory. Don't be afraid to, big, to pray big prayers to a big God and expect big results. He can do it. Can I get an amen today? Because when you ask God for big things, it's an indication that your faith is growing and that you are exercising your faith. So hear me. Abram was concerned about a single heir when God was wanting to give him more heirs than he could count. You may be this morning sitting here worried about a single blessing when God wants to pour out exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask, think, or count. I want you to to dream with me for just a moment. I think it's possible that when we get to heaven and we stand before God and thank Him for all He's done for us, it's just possible that God might escort us to a room where there's a large door. And behind that door, when he opens it, God is going to say, see all this? (laughs) These are all the blessings you could have had, but you never asked for them. What does James chapter 4 tell us? We have not because... Say it again with me. We have not because... Proverbs 24 says, if you faint in the day of adversity... Your strength is small. God, help us, deliver us from small strength, small faith. Jeremiah 12, if racing against mere men makes you tired, how will you race against horses? What if you stumble and fall on open ground? What will you do in the thickets near near Jordan? You won't be able to do that. It's time to stop crying about what you don't have and to thank God for what you do have left. 
Because if God be for us, I can't hear you. If God be for us, who can be against us? Well, that's the word about Abram's fear. It's a thought about Abram's future, but I want to land on verse 6. It's a word about Abram's faith. We read it, and I repeated it. And Abram believed in the Lord, and God counted it to him for righteousness. What this verse teaches us about Abram's faith should be true for all of our faith as well. Give me just a minute to dissect verse number 6 for a better understanding of what kind of faith we ought to leave here with this morning. Abraham believed in God. He believed in the Lord. That small word in is the most important word in that entire verse number 6. Abraham doesn't just believe the word anymore. He believes in God. So what that means is he moves from an intellectual acceptance to absolute trust. Moving from intellectual acceptance to absolute trust. Because you can conceive of God intellectually, but to believe God and to believe in God, it takes absolute trust. You can read the Word of God and never believe the God of the Word. That was good, Dan. Say that again. You can read the Word of God and never believe the God of the Word. You can intellectually assent, uh, but until you have absolute trust, you don't have real faith. But we've read it today that Abram believed in God and God counted it as righteousness. Let's be clear about this. He believed God in spite of the obstacles, such as he had no son. He is childless. He and Sarah conspired for him to lay with Hagar, and Ishmael was the result of that situation, but that was not God's promise. And can I just say to all of us today, and some of you ought to write this down, worse than not waiting on God is wishing you had done so later on. Is that anybody's testimony in the house today? Worse than not waiting on God is what you will feel when you wish later on that you had done so. They hurried ahead of God, but that was not the situation with Hagar was not God's promise. So Abram's still waiting on a son, and his waiting on a son is counted as righteousness. Now, I'm not the best mathematician in the house this morning, but I've always enjoyed math. There's a great correlation between math and music, and my music background gave me quite an affinity for math, and I, I like it. I'm certainly not the best at it, but I still love this illustration I'm about to give you because I did pay attention in math class and learned just a few things. I know what a minuend is, and I know what a subtrahend is. Uh, uh, put my graphic up, please. A minuend is the number you're going to subtract from. I know all of you know this already. But a minuend, this is the number you're going to subtract from. This is your start. The subtrahend is that number you're going to subtract from the minuend. And when you take the minuend and you subtract out the subtrahend, it gives you the difference. That is, that is simple mathematics. 
menuend minus subtrahend equals the difference. That's how it works in mathematics. But let me explain how it works in God's mathematics. It's a little different. Menuend minus subtrahend equals dividend. Do you not know what a dividend is? You know what it is. It's the addition to something that you have invested in. When you take something from something, it typically results in minus something. But with God, when you take something from God, you add something. Minuin minus subtrahend is supposed to be a difference. But if you trust God, the minuin is God, subtrahend is what he has given you, and the blessing is your dividend. Even if God has given you more than you've asked for, here's the news. He has lots more left for you. And just because he has blessed you does not mean he doesn't have plenty of blessing for me. I'm not sure you got that. So, what was the message that Abram believed that God counted as righteousness? Abram believed that God was sending a son. And when he believed in the son that God was sending, God counted it as righteousness. Abram believed in a son that God was sending, and God counted it as righteousness. I'm going to keep saying it until you get it. Abram was looking for a son, and God counted it as righteousness. Abraham put his faith in a son, and God counted it as righteousness. One more time, surely somebody's going to get it here this morning. Somebody's going to get it. Abraham put his faith in a son, and God counted it as righteousness. One Sunday morning in a primary Sunday school class in the basement of the church my dad was pastoring in Sykes, Missouri, I put my faith in a son and God counted it as righteousness. And there are plenty of people here this morning who put their faith in a son and God has made you righteous. Even though you're not worthy, God counts you as righteous. Even though you and I don't deserve it, God counts us as righteous because we believed in a son. Now the son that Abram was waiting on was Isaac. But that's not the son I was waiting on. Isaac was... The promise to Abraham. But I have another promise. My promise is the stem of Jesse. The root of David. The one who is without form or comeliness. In him there is no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. Oh, but he was wounded for my transgressions bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes I am healed. Who this morning has experienced the healing grace of Jesus? Shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. All we like sheep have gone astray, but God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I hope you know who this son is today that I'm talking about. If you don't, let me tell you something about him. 
If you don't know him, you're invited to leave the pew where you now are seated and come and meet me here at the front where someone will introduce you to him. But let me tell you something about him. He's the son of righteousness. He's the desire of all nations. He's the day spring of Israel. He's the rock in a weary land. He's a shelter in the time of storm. He's a friend when you're friendless. He's bread when you're hungry. He's water when you're thirsty. He's a shield and a great reward. He's God's only son. He's Mary's baby boy. He's James and Jude's older brother. He's Matthew's king. He's Mark's suffering servant. He's Luke's great physician. He's John's word made flesh. He's Acts coming of the Holy Ghost. He's the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's the lily of the valley. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the bright and the morning star. He was born in Bethlehem. He was reared in Nazareth. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. And one Friday, he died on a hill called Calvary. He laid in a borrowed grave. He stayed there all night Friday. He stayed there all day Saturday. But early on Sunday morning, he arose. And I'm here in the pulpit of Bethesda this morning simply because I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living no matter what men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him. He's always there. Church, he lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. And I've not even said his name yet. How many know who I'm talking about in this house today? Because his name is I said his name is Now put your hands together. Give him your highest hallelujah in this house. Blessed be the name of Jesus.